Welcome to Fusion Church's Sermon of the Week. Fusion Church is located in Wakanda, Illinois. We exist to complete and multiply people who passionately follow Christ. For more information, visit www.fusionchurch.com. Let's dive into this week's sermon. Hi, happy Sunday. I am Katie and I am so glad that we can again be together virtually. It has been kind of wonderful outside. I have enjoyed the warmer weather. I hope you have too. And even with the storms this week, I just feel like it's spring. I can feel spring coming, which don't tell anybody I said that. I feel like I need to knock on wood or something because it's might snow again, but we're not going to go there mentally. We're gonna be right here in this beautiful weather place. And also, happy Palm Sunday. Today is the Sunday right before Easter, and I'm excited to share with you guys today. Uh, This is called Palm Sunday because a lot of times, traditionally, the church worldwide likes to talk about what we call the triumphal entry. It is this moment that Jesus enters Jerusalem the week before he is arrested, uh, crucified, and murdered. Uh, So this is a really, um, Palm Sunday is kind of like the high, high before the low, low of Jesus's death. And it can be kind of almost um, emotionally, you know, up and down. Uh, So I really wanted to, you know, talk about this moment when Jesus enters Jerusalem. Um, But not just that, but some other moments that Jesus was in Jerusalem too. So enough with the pleasantries. We're going to run right into it because I'm just really excited to share this with you guys today. Um, There's really a ton to be gained from understanding this moment when Jesus goes into Jerusalem. But Jesus had been in Jerusalem tons of times before. We're going to talk about just a few times that Jesus is there. And each time that we're talking about today is a time that Jesus is in Jerusalem specifically because it is um, a feast day for the Jews. So many Jews would travel to Jerusalem for certain feast days, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Passover um, to celebrate Jewish holidays. Uh, And this is really every moment we're going to look at in Jesus's life today, just we're only looking at a few, that Jesus goes to Jerusalem. It's for one of these feasts. Um, And we're just going to look at kind of the way that um, not only Jesus enters Jerusalem, but many times, but the way that he is received when he enters. So the first one we're going to look at, this was not the first time that Jesus was in Jerusalem, but it is one of the ones when he is younger. Uh, it only, the only gospel that talks about it is Luke, and it's in Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at verse, it starts about 41, we'll start reading at verse 43, but it's this moment when Jesus has gone with his parents uh, during the Passover feast to Jerusalem, and he was 12 years old, okay? So he's just, he's just a little kid. And this is what it says in verse 43. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Parents, so his parents start kind of looking around for him. They've left Jerusalem and his parents start looking for him and wondering, where is he? Where is our son? They had already been out of the city a ways. So by the time they find him, it's like three days later. It says after three days, they found him in the temple courts, 
sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So a couple things I love about this is Jesus is in the temple courts and he, you know, is kind of like later, he says like, why are you surprised I'm here, right? It's very natural that I would be here. But he's not just uh, saying really profound things to the teachers or showing his great wisdom. He's listening to, he's learning, and he's asking really good questions. And I love this picture of this little boy just sitting in the temple courts with teachers because it's this moment in Jesus's life that is really you know, void of controversy, really. I mean, it's intriguing for sure. It's this moment when this kind of kid wonder, this kid genius is, is having this really grown up adult, wise, understanding, awe-inspiring conversation with religious teachers. Uh, but really there's nothing, there's not really a negative side that we see here. It's just this kind of really intriguing, interesting, story about a boy who happens to just have a lot of insight into the Holy Scriptures. And I think it goes to show like we, I mean, we love when kids do this, right? I think if you look at any like a talent reality show or anything like that, we love to see like little kids who are doing adult things. We love to see the seven-year-old girl who's like belting out an opera classic, or we love to see a little boy who is dancing better than most adults we've seen. It's like fun and it's exciting. And we all go, whoa, did you see that kid last night and how amazing they were? And that was so cool because a lot of times adults aren't threatened by that. It's just kind of this novelty thing. What a cool thing that a kid would be able to do that. And that's how a lot of people are reacting to Jesus. Everybody's kind of rooting for him, kind of interested in him. This is so cool. And it seems very, um, it's, it's this big moment for Jesus. It's this big moment for Jesus's parents. It says even afterwards that Mary treasured these things in her heart that it happened. But really, it's also this moment of just um, kind of wonder and awe. And there's not really a threat to it. There's not really um, a negative a negative side to it, right? Which is, which is rare for Jesus because he often is in the middle of controversy during his life. So this is a moment that he's in Jerusalem and we can kind of see that this is uh, just kind of a, a moment that probably fell off the teacher's radar soon after, right? He, he says goodbye, he goes home with his family and he grows up. And he was probably back at Jerusalem some other times, maybe. Um, but for the most part, we don't, we don't know about that. We don't hear about that. And he kind of just probably turned into a cool story that the teachers like to share of this one boy that came and, and asked really great questions and had a lot of wisdom to share. So we're going to fast forward a little bit to um, a moment in Jesus's ministry. After he had started his ministry, he's in his 30s. And we're going to look at this scene in John chapter 7, verse 28. So Jesus has been traveling around for some time. He has been working miracles, healing people. He's been teaching. The teaching so far has been pretty um, uplifting and encouraging and has been drawing people in. People have been saying, like, this man is a great prophet. This man is saying amazing things. This man is sent by from God, like all of these things. And people are getting really exciting. The hype around him is really growing and people are hearing about him a lot. 
And so word about him is spreading like wildfire. And at one point, it tells of Jesus going to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And he begins teaching in the temple courts, same place he was in that scene that we looked at when he was 12. And the Jews, it says, the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such a learning without having studied? So basically, if a, a man like Jesus was standing around teaching in the temple courts, he probably would have been uh, a rabbi or an apprentice to a rabbi. He would have been uh, known as somebody who was studying and following around another religious leader, learning the way, um, learning about the scriptures. People would have kind of maybe heard of him, but they're like, wait, how does this guy know all this stuff? We haven't heard of him learning or learning from any of these other teachers. Where is he getting all this? How does he know the scriptures so well without having studied them? And so some people are in awe. But now we have this thing happening where some people are starting to get angry. They don't like that Jesus knows so much about the scriptures and seems to have not kind of earned it. How is he, where is he getting all this wisdom from? Where is he getting all this knowledge of scripture and the Bible and, and of the father? And they're going, well, it must be demonic. He must be, he must be evil. That must be what it is because surely some guy just can't understand the heart of God. No, he some guy can't understand the Holy scriptures. This, he must be from Satan. He must be demonic. And so Jesus says, yes, you know me, because some of these people knew he was this guy just from Nazareth, just a teacher. You know me and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Now, this is a little bit of a confusing statement. It's like, I'm the dude that you know, but you don't know him. And he's the one who knows me, but I know him and he sent me and we're a thing, right? So it's a little bit confusing, but they would have known that Jesus was saying right now, I'm from God. He sent me here. I know him, which is why I can tell you all of these things. And he's making this bold statement that he's close with the father. And they don't like this. Many of the teachers around him don't like this. And so it says, at this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. So Jesus kind of gets out of there. And the last line here is, still many in the crowd put their faith in him. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. I think that is fascinating because we can see the tension start to grow here. So have you ever pulled a rubber band? I was going to bring one today and then I forgot. Have you ever pulled a rubber band? And the farther away your fingers get from one another, the more tension grows on that rubber band. So that's what happened. There was no really tension when Jesus was there in 12, right? Because people are just kind of like interested and maybe annoyed, but mostly just like, oh, this is weird. This is crazy. Okay. But now people are starting to polarize and they're pulling apart. And some are saying, we're going to follow this guy. He's a prophet. He's from God. And some are saying, no way. And as this, uh, this polarization happens, this tension increases. And so now Jerusalem is starting to feel 
this tension. God's people are starting to feel this tension of who is this guy? Everybody that's around him feels this tension. And it keeps increasing as Jesus reveals more about himself. So people are having stronger and stronger reactions to him, to his teaching, to the miracles he's performing, and some people are getting angry. Many are hate that his teaching undermines their rules and their livelihood. They are beginning to, some people are beginning to ask, is this the Messiah we've waited for? And they're moving from believing Jesus is just a prophet to wondering if he's the savior. See, this is dangerous for a lot of the religious leaders. The poles of belief are pulled farther and farther apart. So really, the God's people are at a, at a bit of a tipping point right now. There's a lot of tension around who Jesus is and who he's revealed himself to be. So now we're going to look at, again, there are times in between that he's in Jerusalem, but now we're going to look at what we call the triumphal entry. This moment in John 12 where Jesus enters Jerusalem again and tensions are higher than ever. So it says in verse 12, chapter 12, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They are calling him, shouting. He is the king of Israel. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb, remember he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after them. So they, the Pharisees, the religious leaders have been trying to say, no, this guy isn't real. He's demonic. What he's teaching isn't okay. And it's not working. People are still following him. Not only are people following him, but they are calling him the king of Israel. This is the tipping point. This is the moment when they're like, we have to do something. The rubber band is super tense. It is pulled taut. It is, there's no farther it can go. The religious leaders are at a breaking point. Some people are saying Jesus is the king and some are plotting his death. How could reactions be so different to one man? But when Jesus is close, man, his teaching is polarizing. When you're caught in the middle of it, it is a tense situation. It is dangerous now at this point to be on one side or the other, but people are still choosing sides. They are drawing lines in the sand. He is either the Messiah, the King of Israel, or he needs to die. We don't really hear of an in-between. The excitement and the hate and the hate in the city, man, it's, I almost wonder if you could walk the streets of Jerusalem at this time and just feel it. Feel the emotion that is happening in the streets and among the people. Everyone is in a state of desperation. Not only is it clear that Jesus has power, not only is it clear that he speaks with authority from the Father, but the people are listening and ready to follow. They are ready for the big save, the huge moment of government takeover, but many are not ready to have their power and authority stripped away. The religious leaders are holding to their way of life with tight fists and will do whatever they have to do to keep the power and authority they think 
they have. Do you ever, I don't know if you guys ever did this, but thinking of rubber bands being pulled, I think of whenever my brother and I would find a rubber band laying around the house, it was like the other sibling had to watch out, right? And you know that moment, if you've ever had someone pull back a rubber band to shoot at you, it's like the tighter it goes, the more you're flinching, right? So it's like, here's like, that's not gonna hurt me. When they're back here with a rubber band, you're kind of like, okay, okay, just do it, just do it. I can imagine that this is what the tension felt like. Just something's got to give, something is gonna break. This cannot continue like this. And this is what I love about this. We're just gonna sit, we're gonna sit in this for a minute. I love the truth about Jesus at this point because Jesus at the point of the triumphal entry is no different from Jesus as a 12 year old boy. I mean, yes, he has grown and he teaches now, but man, he's the same person. He's the same creator God. He's the same as he was when he was in Jerusalem before and just in the middle of his ministry and starting to say things like, I come from the Father. He's the same guy. He has not changed. He has just revealed more of the Father's heart changed people's lives, taught a new way, taught the kingdom way. But he is the same. So it's not that Jesus is different here that causes the tension, but as understanding grows of who he is, as he reveals more and more of himself, the strength of feelings about him increases. The more we know about Jesus, the more his teaching and his wisdom and his life are polarizing and and lead us to tension. As hope rises about who he is, offense rises at who he claims to be. The more you know about Jesus, and this is even from just my personal experience, the more visceral of a reaction you have to him, whether it is positive or negative. See, it was great when Jesus said things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. But that was until people realized there are those that are more poor and more blessed than them. It's uplifting when Jesus would have taught, love your neighbor as yourself until you realize that maybe your neighbor has been your enemy. It's exciting when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And then we realize, wait, maybe, maybe me or people I love are trying to get to the Father another way. Maybe they don't want Jesus to be the way. That's when the tension begins to increase between who Jesus is and what he's teaching and where we're at, where the world's at. These points created tension then, that's for sure, but they create tension for us now. I'm sure even many of us have read things in the Bible and been uncomfortable with the line that Jesus draws in the sand, uncomfortable with the big bold statements he or his disciples have made. And it makes us wonder, is that, could that be true? And we have to decide whether we really want to wrestle with that or put it away or walk away. We have, we come to these points of tension just like God's people in Jerusalem that week, and suddenly we're standing at an impasse where we have to decide it's either Jesus or everything else. 
There are things that people were really wrestling with. And many had to make their decisions to follow Jesus and welcome in the kingdom or not. And even some who said Jesus is king, they walked away when he was arrested and crucified and it became dangerous and offensive to follow him. The presence of Jesus has been and will always be polarizing in some way, but he always gives us a choice. He reveals himself to us. He pursues us. He makes himself available to us. But at the end of the day, always, we have the freedom to draw close or to back away. To draw close or to back away. There's one more story I want to share with you. And some of you know it as the rich man or the rich young ruler. We're going to look at the the version in Matthew. And it says that someone came to Jesus with this question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, why ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which one, the man asks. So Jesus names commandments and the guy says, I have obeyed all these commandments. What else must I do? So he has done all the right things, but he knows he's missing something. He wants something else. He's probably feeling tension in him of something is missing. And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. I love this story because this guy was really honest. He wanted life and he wanted life to the fullest, but he knew something was missing. So he pursued Jesus and Jesus is clear. Sell all of your possessions, give the money to the poor and come and follow me. And he goes away sad. He doesn't act like, sure, I'll go do it. Or yeah, 100% I'll do it. He waits. He takes a minute. He steps back because he is met with this tension of what it means to follow Jesus. Like, wait, is this what you're really asking me to do? And I don't know what happened to that guy. The Bible doesn't say, but he chose to back away from Jesus in that moment. And honestly, I think we all have moments in our lives where we have drawn close to Jesus or backed away when we have met that tension of, is this really what you're asking me to do? Is this really what you're asking my life to look like? I know many good people, kind, loving people who carry the image of God, who have seen what it would require of them to follow Jesus and have said no, because they're just not ready to believe. They're not ready to take that step. They're not ready to give themselves over to that. That to me is actually a deep understanding almost of who Jesus is and what he requires. See, I want to be very clear. I'm not trying to evoke shame here. This is not a come to Jesus or else type of moment. This is permission for all of us to sit together in the realization that following Jesus is hard. Drawing close to him can be hard. The faith we are called to, the trust, it is so full of joy and peace, but can it also be so difficult and offensive and lonely at times. It can be lonely, guys, to do the right thing. It can be lonely to be obedient. It can be lonely to love people the way Jesus teaches us to love. It can be lonely and heartbreaking. 
One moment we can be waving palm branches saying, Jesus is king. And the next, our lives are turned upside down by sickness and pain and loss. And it's understandable when the people of God need to take a step back and ask, what do I really want? What do I really believe? Who is Jesus really to me? See, tension is not a bad thing. Without tension, there is no sacrificial love. Without tension, there is no uncontrollable laughter. There is no sense of calling. Without tension, there is no justice. Without tension, there is no freedom. If we did not feel the tension of what Jesus and his kingdom calls us to, we would not fight for the things that really matter. Tension is necessary. It is not the enemy here. If in this season you feel as though your faith has been stretched to a breaking point, like you're living in the in-between tension, if you're asking questions of God that feel unanswered, if you're asking whether this following Jesus is worth it, you are not in the wrong place. You are not experiencing the wrong things. You have been given a gift of seeing clearly the tension that following Jesus ignites. And I'm glad that you are honestly and openly there. Just like this rich young ruler, Jesus wanted his disciples to understand this tension, that it would feel almost too great to bear at times. Jesus doesn't try to hide this. If you are in the midst of that, you are not alone. Jesus is closer to you in it than you think. Don't be afraid to ask questions to feel the weight of what it means to follow Jesus. It means you're taking it seriously and you see Jesus for who he is. Move forward with gratitude for the honesty that God has set in your heart. I trust, I trust that the spirit will lead you in the midst of it. You are so loved and so valued even in the midst of that tension. There is hope because this is what I see not just from those in the Bible who have followed Jesus, but those throughout history that I've studied and read about, people who, I, people who I've known personally in my life who have followed Jesus for years, and I've watched walk with Jesus. Those who lived in the tension and still chose Jesus were the ones who recognized God's pursuit of them and responded with pursuit of him. Those who said, I don't know what's going on, Jesus, but I want to. I'm here listening. I'm angry at you, God, but I still want you. I don't hear you. I don't feel you speaking, but I'll read the revelation you've give, already given in your word because I just, I want to pursue you and know you. Here's the last thing I'll leave you with. That rich young ruler I don't believe he left Jesus's presence unchanged. When he left Jesus, he was not the man he was when he approached Jesus. Now he didn't respond the way maybe Jesus wanted him to in that moment or other people thought he should. But I wonder if he went home and over the next days, weeks, maybe years, his money and his possessions meant less and less to him. He began to care less and less for what he had and wanted more and more of that life that Jesus spoke about. I don't know if he ever ended up following Jesus, but something was transformed in him that day. I really do believe that. 
and I don't believe he ever found the same solace in his wealth or his possessions that he once did before he met Jesus. Read any other story of Jesus. No one, no one, no one left Jesus' presence unchanged. They might have pushed him away. They might have gone and tried to hide. They might have responded to him, but no one left unchanged. Every moment you spend with your heart and mind turned towards him, every time you sit with him in the word or prayer, every time you pour out your heart or your frustrations or meditate quietly in his presence, every time your awareness is turned towards Jesus, you are transformed. God wastes no moment with you. No time with him is spent with him is fruitless. We can go weeks, even years, not having some big revelation from God or some huge experience with him, but he is constantly working in our hearts, forming our minds when we turn to him. Your pursuit of Jesus, listen, your pursuit of Jesus will never come up void, ever. Nothing will be returned to you empty. We may not always feel the transformation or notice the change, but you are not the same as you were even an hour ago because you chose to engage with Jesus right now. He is doing a work in you. He's doing a work in you that you cannot earn, that perfection cannot grant you, that you can't work for. And that is such good news. It's fun. It's fun to have big revelations from God and it's fun to have words and it's awesome to experience his tangible presence or be able to say, God told me this or Jesus led me here or the spirit came over me. But in my life, the things that have ignited the most deepest, strongest transformation in me are the steady, quiet, common moments I have with Jesus, the secret moments. The times I speak to him in hidden tears or hidden joy. The peace he gives me without saying a word. These are the moments that have transformed me the most. No time have I ever spent with him has been wasted. Even if I can't tell you at all how he used it or changed me, I am different than I was yesterday. And so are you because you have lived another day in pursuit of our creator. This is the place where God doesn't alleviate the tension but he lifts us above it. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, not because there wouldn't be hardship, but because the pursuit of him focuses the tension we feel into calling. The pursuit of Jesus focuses the tension we feel into calling. Right now, what tension is the truth of Jesus revealing in you? Usually the area we feel tension in the most with Jesus is the area we are being called to partner with him in. If you're feeling tension in an area, if you're frustrated about an area, if you're like, man, Jesus, I just, I cannot get over this with you. I cannot get past this, this tension point. I cannot uh, just like get my mind off of it. Often it is because that is the place of our calling that Jesus wants to partner with us in. When we step more fully into the calling on our lives, that's when we recognize the things that pull most at our hearts. 
and get us the most riled up. Do you feel tension with Jesus about poverty in the world? He's calling you out. Do you feel tension with Jesus about church culture? He's calling you to bring the kingdom to us. Do you feel tension about the the word and the believability of scripture? Maybe you're a teacher who is being called to wrestle with now what you will teach us later, and I will be front row to hear it. Because I want to hear exactly what you have wrestled through with Jesus in the tension of his truth and our reality. I want to hear it. You're not going to feel this exact same tension others feel in the presence of Jesus because we all have our own person to be in the kingdom. And when we spend time with Jesus, tension between who we are and who we are called to be increases until we fly forward into freedom. Just like that rubber band letting go, we fly forward and are launched forward into the freedom that has been set before us. Don't be afraid of the tension that Jesus revealing himself to you brings. We all feel it at one point or another in his presence. Embrace it because you are exactly where you are meant to be. Jesus only says, pursue me in it. Come find me in it. Draw close to me in it. This week in our Christian calendar is probably when we understand and feel the most tension that drove Jesus to the cross. My prayer for you is that you sit with Jesus in the tension of your need for him and his sacrifice for you. That this time with him, this week as you engage today and engage with your villages this week and with our Good Friday service and the celebration of Easter, that this time reveals with him more of your calling to you. That it reveals more of his hand on your life Remember that tension you feel, that is going to be, you you may have tension with similar things with other people, but the way Jesus draws you close in that, that is unique to you because he is calling you out and your story will be in a month, in a year, in 10 years, your legacy will be that you were one that didn't walk away when things got hard. You didn't turn your back when you were confused or disillusioned by the church or by God, when you were, were frustrated with how things were going, when things did not turn out the way you planned, that you pressed in. And you will set the tone for generation after generation of people who press in to the tension. I believe that, I do. So I just wanna pray for us today that we would see clearly the tension we are meant to sit and draw close to Jesus in it and that he would reveal to us more of who we were made to be and more of our calling in the kingdom. That we would learn to uh, celebrate the tension because it points us in the direction of the kingdom. I just ask that you would put out your hands, even if you're not really sure what you're feeling or thinking right now, just put out your hands and receive whatever it is 
that God wants to do in you, remember, even if you don't feel anything, even if you don't hear a word from him, even if something isn't made clear, you are being transformed in this moment. Let's turn our faces to him and just focus in on his presence right now with us. Jesus, your spirit is heavy on us right now. I know it is. And I believe that you are calling us into our calling. You are calling us into deeper partnership with you. And you are using tension to do it. You are teaching us to embrace tension so that we cannot stay where we are, so that we can move forward with you. I pray that you would give us courage to move forward. I pray that you would give us a resilience and perseverance to move forward. Be clear with us, Jesus, about what you want to do in us and let us move forward with the hope and knowledge that you are moving in us, you are working in us. Even if it looks different than it does for someone else, God, I pray that you would take away comparison, that you would take away any, it should look like this or it should look like this and just let us settle in to our calling and our identity in you. We praise you that you don't just make it cushy and easy because then we would never realize our potential for bringing the kingdom and changing the world. Speak to us in this holy week, Jesus. Remind us of who we are every day as we turn our eyes and our hearts to you. We know you will not abandon us. We know you will never leave us. And we trust you to guide us to the place exactly where we need to be. Thank you for this journey you have us on. Thank you that you have not turned your face away from us. Thank you for the sacrifice you made that we get to really just sit in and remember specifically this week. You are so good and your plan has always been freedom and we say yes to that freedom. In your name, we lift our lives up to you. Amen. We hope that you were encouraged by this week's sermon. For more information, visit us at our website, www.fusionchurch.com, or you could find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week.